0: This is the Memoir 44 podcast. It's for fans of the Days of Wonder Game called Memoir 44. This podcast home on the web is at memoir44podcast.blogspot.com. Get in touch by sending an email to memoir44podcast at gmail.com. Welcome to the seventh episode of the Memoir 44 podcast. Today I'll be looking at the seventh scenario in the base game. Vassur Vakur.
1: American tanks and men are swarming across the Brittany peninsula today, and the cleanup campaign has begun at Brest. Other American columns are turning eastward toward Paris. More than 1,000 of our planes bomb Berlin and the Hamburg and Kiel areas of Germany. In the east, the Red Army's campaigns against East Prussia and Warsaw are entering the last stage. Berlin says the Russians have made a breakthrough north of the Niemen River. German shells are crashing inside Florence today, but the British Eighth Army has planted itself firmly along the Arno on both sides of the city. In the Pacific, a fast American task force operating off the Bonin and Volcano Islands has wiped out a Jap convoy. And now for news on the Battle of France, Admiral takes you to Normandy. Bill Downs reporting. Senior British staff officer said tonight that the German Seventh Army, assigned to hold the Allied troops within their Normandy beachhead had suffered a major defeat and that the events of the past ten days had given the American, British, and Canadian forces in France their first big victory. This high staff officer said that since D-Day, the Allied troops in France had virtually eliminated 13 German divisions and no army could stand to lose the number of prisoners alone that the Germans have lost to us without suffering a major defeat. The British staff officer paid special tribute to the American forces now ruling Britain. The Americans have been remarkable in exploiting their gains through very tough country, he said. Then he added, we can learn a lot from them. This high British officer, who is in a position to know the complete picture of the war, painted the most optimistic picture that we have had since we've been here in France. He said that the Germans appeared to be establishing a series of fortress areas around the important Brittany ports, which the American forces are now threatening. The Germans are carrying out demolition in these ports. And in addition to a great land victory, the American tanks in Brittany also have won one of the war's greatest naval victories. The capture of the Brittany ports will wipe out Hitler's main U-boat and E-boat bases and towards a complete change of German nat- naval strategy. However, the Germans are expected to fight bitterly for their now-cut-off fortress port. It is impossible to be anything but extremely optimistic optimistic at the present stage of the war, the officer said. And then he went on to give his reasons for this optimism. First, on the land front, the Russian advance is threatening Germany itself. In Italy, there are a series of unbroken victories that should continue. The western front is going like a house of fire. And the resistance front, inside occupied, occupied France, France is almost boiling over.
0: The heroic French resistance of the mountains of the Coors region were a constant thorn in the Axis side. Their persistence and aggressiveness pretty much outweighed that of the resistance in other regions. They were daring and made war in a way very close to that of a regular army. The people of the region were also very distinct in their support of the resistance, and made the entire region very unfriendly for the Axis forces. Of course the German forces could not let this situation stand. Strong aggressive patrols and even aerial bombing of villages in the area were the initial response. The resistance in this area were fortunate enough to receive Allied assistance and supply drops. John Hausmann arrived in the area to help coordinate and assist the resistance. His diary is presented on the BBC's People's War website, and I'll put a link to that into the show notes. The following extract is taken from his diary for the days around the attack on Vasseur. 3rd of July Nothing very outstanding happened for the next 10 days or so. We lived in our own PC and worked there all day, often into the early hours coding and decoding, having our meals with the French HQ staff at their PC. Several times a parachute drop message came over the BBC and usually either Desmond or I went out to the reception area. The only body drop we had was when Pagboy, Christine and four French instructors arrived in a high wind, and when one of them landed on the rocks and was badly injured. Christine drifted for four kilometres. Work continued at high pressure for the next ten days or so. We all suffered from lack of sleep, seldom getting to bed before one or two in the morning. Towards the end of this period, I persuaded Desmond to take a little more sleep, as he was looking such a wreck. Harry too was looking absolutely haggard. 13th July Message received announcing a mass parachute drop the following day. Celebrations had already been arranged, it being the national day and the arrival of a mass daylight drop stimulated the feelings of the French. It was also a great feather in the mission's cap. We were duly thanked for our efforts and were beginning to show results. 14th July A message was received saying that a mass parachute operation was to be expected at nine o'clock. And certainly mass it was. Eighty-five fortresses came over in formation in three waves, dropping about one thousand containers. A wonderful sight, but the beginning of all our trouble. Both London and Algiers had sent telegrams saying that we could expect a major attack at almost any moment, and local information, the intelligence service was excellent, confirmed this. Three divisions were closing in on us from Valence, Roman St. Nizer, and Grenoble. No doubt the mass parachute drops stimulated the Germans' concern as to what was happening in Vercours. Rumours had long since been current that 5,000 parachutists had arrived during the night. Reconnaissance planes were constantly flying over the plateau, soon to be followed by bombers and fighters which bombed and strafed us all day. Desmond went off to the national celebrations, and on the whole, did not enjoy it much, I fear. His car was hunted and followed the entire way by German planes and several times they had to stop and dive into the ditch. I understand the German planes watched the ceremony with due interest also, which didn't improve the state of mind of several hundred people closely gathered into the market square. I was glad to see him back, as things were hotting up in St. Martin and I had had to send an emergency telegram for the bombing of Chabur suggesting it combined a coup de main with our own forces. We worked until about 2am, and then went to bed. At 3am, Commander H called Desmond out of bed to tell him the latest news. 15th of July. Air attacks continued. It was impossible to continue collecting the containers from the daylight drop during daylight. Desmond and I visited Lieutenant B's position with boys. Enemy closing in. 16th July. Vassur now practically destroyed by bombing, though not much done to the containers. More cables asking for immediate reinforcements and heavy weapons. Atmosphere very tense. 17th July. Reports coming in hourly. Enemy advancing from St Nazir, and closing in on Vakur's Triangle from all directions. Bombing and strafing continues. 18th July. Necessary to watch the sky every time you left a building. Sometimes dodging from tree to tree to avoid machine-gunning. Enemy patrols in contact with our outposts. Commander H maintaining extraordinary calm. He seems, as in fact he had, to have had the situation completely in hand. Signs of nervousness in the PC among the junior officers. Desmond and I are trying hard not to show signs of alarm, even when a German plane passed the dining room window flying up the valley as I had a spoonful of soup. Martial law had been proclaimed throughout the Vercours. All units were in battle positions. The Chapelle burned out by constant air attack. Ambulances making incessant journeys through the village to the hospital with the wounded. We tried to get some sleep in the evening, thinking we might have to do without for some time to come. We kept our rucksacks permanently packed. All expected an emergency at any moment. Attention was beginning to tell. I remember feeling how caged in we were, surrounded on all sides, and in our houses we represented sitting birds for the unopposed German plains. The bombardment appeared to be a creeping one. Vasseur, the Chapelle, and Next Saint Martin. nineteenth, july. Enemy attacked in force, took some of our positions. During the night our troops counterattacked and retook all positions. 20th July. 400 paratroopers, German, landed at Vasseur. Infiltration through the woods and strong enemy attacks turned our positions. Position not considered desperate, and later many positions were regained. 21st July. German attack was intensified and bombing was increased. 22nd July. 3 a.m. Desmond was called to the PC to receive bad news. The Vakors was falling. Our positions had been turned. All our reserves had now been in the line for some time. The Americans were fighting the paratroopers, but were outweaponed. We had orders to take to the woods. Desmond sent me up to Parry, as Henry was missing, but soon reappeared. Parry came down to our PC. Our spare kit, together with some of his equipment, had been sent to the cave the day before. He arranged to leave it at 10am. At 7am, a a headquarter party of about 14 men, together with boys in command, came to our PC, to collect Desmond, me and boys, who was acting as guide, owing to his intimate knowledge of the woods. De Broys, with the girl who had been helping us with the cipher work, also joined this ragged party. Without ceremony or farewells, except to parry, Croy, and Pierre, we started up the hill, keeping under cover as much as possible. Boys led the way. Before leaving, Desmond arranged a rendezvous with Andre Perry four days later at his cave, also communications to be sent via Ulette in the farm up the track. I remember feeling intense relief at being in the open. I'd sensed an oppressive atmosphere of confinement in our house with bombing and machine gunning off and on all day. Now at least we had space. We climbed the hill slowly, in silence and without smoking as all tracks through the woods were to be expected to be patrolled by now by Germans, or militaires. Aeroplanes were constantly searching the woods. The spot we were making for was one decided upon by Commander H, where he proposed joining us the following day and establishing his emergency HQ. We eventually arrived at the crest in driving rain, and after Desmond and boys had made a recce, moved on to a suitable place in the trees to sleep. We slept for a couple of hours or so, "'and woke up soaking wet. "'Boys broke the news to us "'that there was no water at all "'in this part of the woods. "'An elementary essential, "'I should have thought, "'would have been reckoned with. "'We all produced what food we had, "'and it was at once patently obvious "'our supplies for twenty men and a girl "'were very inadequate. "'The strictest rationing was necessary "'and duly enforced. "'Lunch, I remember, "'was half a slice of bread "'and a bit of tinned fish.' Fires were not permissible, for fear of the smoke giving away our position. We were miserably wet. Later we moved to another spot for the night, as two men from our party decided to leave and go home. The possibility of their being militia was too dangerous. At dusk we settled down for the night, an extremely uncomfortable one too. Talking in the mildest of whispers was already becoming a habit. We slept, all six of us, as close together as possible in order to be warmer, with our packs ready, our boots handy, and our guns within arm's reach. 23rd July We moved on to another place in case our previous one might have been given away, a better one this time, and the sun was shining. I tried to dry some of my clothes, and walked about in bare feet to give my sodden boots a chance to dry. About midday Desmond suggested climbing down again to St Martin for information, food and water. He and boys made a recce and decided to go. I suggested going instead of Desmond, as his knee was troubling him, and the dangers of becoming lame were only too obvious. However, he assured me that he was up to it. Another Frenchman went too. They returned at dawn with rucksacks full of raw meat and bread, some water, and a live goat in milk. They'd had, I gathered, a fairly hair-raising time dodging patrols and so on. Desmond's diary gives a full description of this. That evening we moved on again and we'll have to leave it there. If you want to read the full article, I'll put a link into the show notes. Next up, we have my favorite part of the show. It's the drama that's been put together by Jack. Over to you, Jack.
2: Hello, my name is Jack Juritza. What you're about to hear is not a historical recreation of a battle, but a dramatic reenactment of a scenario appearing in the Memoir 44 board game. A unit from the scenario is randomly selected, and a story is tailored around the unit's experience as the scenario is played. The French Resistance had become more and more bothersome since the Americans and the British had landed on the beaches of Normandy. Over the past several years, Resistance was there, but we were able to keep them in check. But now, with the news of the landings at Normandy, the resistance's bravado was at an all-time high. For years, the town of Ashur in the Bacal region was a hive of activity for the resistance. The town was located on a plateau with limited road access. This meant it was a perfect spot for the resistance to train and gather strength. The resistance had constructed an airfield outside of Vashu, and the American planes were now dropping supplies to the resistance. Our Luftwaffe bombed the city of Vashu, but the resistance only seemed to scatter for a moment, then return. My squad was one of the many squads chosen to put an end to the resistance in and around Vashu. The plan was for our squad, with many others, to use gliders to land on the plateau outside Vashu take the city and put down the resistance. The German high command was worried that left unchecked resistance would become bolder and grow to be a thorn in the side of the German army. After our tactical briefing, we were taken to the airfield to load into our gliders. We were to be towed behind our bombers and then at the designated time released and glide onto the plateau. My commanding officer made it clear that we could easily be outnumbered and not Wasted the all in a surprise. We all silently loaded into our glider. I sat quietly. The rest of my squad was seated around me. We were all crammed into the glider. Our thoughts were of the mission of someday going home in a time without war. We had been flying for hours. We loaded well before dawn, and now the morning sun was burning the last of the dew from the fields gliding below us. The glider pilot now shouted into the radio, and we were quickly released from the bomber's tow cable. The bomber roared away and we were left gliding silently. Our commander reminded us to move out as soon as we stopped moving. We all eagerly watched as we circled and then came onto our final approach to land on a plateau. I could see the city and it was obvious that our plane had bombed the area. The glider slid to a stop and we all rushed out into the open field. The glider had landed west of the city, I could see that the other gliders were a fair bit closer to the city than we were. Our commander pointed to the resistance fighters standing in the field, just looking at us in disbelief. I think they might have thought we were on their side. This was quickly proven wrong when the squad to my left opened fire on the first group of resistance fighters, dropping them all in the field. Our commander urged us on and we quickly dispatched the other resistance group with our quick precise rifle fire. We he could hear more shouts from the woods off in the distance and sporadic rifle fire skipped off the ground in front of us. Our commander yelled and we moved forward to take the woods in front of us. We made the cover of the woods and started to press forward to get the other side of the woods to take on the French head on. As we approached the other side of the woods, the trees began to splinter and a few of my squad mates fell. We were desperately trying to set up firing positions on the resistance. We could make out more resistance in the field now. They were all in the open as well. We quickly fired our rifles into the ranks. Almost all of the resistance fires in the open fell with our accurate rifle fire, but a few remained huddled in the open field. More resistance moved on our flank, and grenades erupted around us. The commander yelled for us to retreat back, and we formed with the other troops. We all ran back towards our other squads. I could hear the other squads cheering us on as they fired pebble fire over our heads to suppress the resistance coming in behind us. I could hear the bullets skipping off the ground all around me, and it just made me run faster and harder. Suddenly, I felt a large thud in the small of my back. My legs refused to run anymore, and I tumbled into the grass, cartwheeling, end over end. I could hear the rest of my squad hurry past, but no one stopped. Everything's and then the last
0: Thanks Jack. Now let's take a look at the seventh scenario from the base game Vasur Vakurs. The terrain for the scenario is spread out, so there's no single dominating feature. Add to this the fact that the troops also start spread out all over the map and there's no real obvious bottleneck or decisive point on this map. The town of Vassur is a three-hex town and that's in the middle of the north um, and forms a backdrop to the spread out Axis forces. To the right of the town is a hill line. Another hill line runs from the middle of the western segment almost to the back line of the southern middle segment. The Axis forces start in front of the town and to the west of it. There are only six infantry units on the Axis side, and these are fairly spread out, so there's no really strong concentration of troops. This battle is only for four medals. There is a special winning condition for the Axis forces, that if you get through the complete deck of cards, then it's an automatic win for the Axis. However, because it's only four medals, that is very unlikely. Now, it is true that both sides could settle back pull away from each other and start collecting cards in their hand ready to make an all-out attack but frankly you're going to get useful cards before you get through the deck so so that special winning condition is very unlikely to happen and you shouldn't aim for that the allies do have two units in an exposed position and it looks like a very tasty target these are marked as being on the airfield moving your troops into range and attacking these looks like a good option but you need to consider that twice The allied troops are all French resistance, so if you move forwards to attack these units and roll even a single flag, they're going to retreat behind the hills and behind the trees, and this will then leave you in an exposed position out in the open. And the allies will then be able to move forwards into those trees and take pot shots at you, and you'll have no defensive bonus. My preferred option here is to attack these exposed units with just a single attack, if the cards are appropriate, but to concentrate on getting your units into cover. On the right, move one unit into the trees and another onto the hills. On the left, advance both your units southwest and occupy the trees if you can. Then it becomes a bit of a waiting game. Shoot at every opportunity, and only ever leave cover to concentrate your firepower when it's to your best advantage. Always bear in mind that you don't want to leave yourself out in the open, even if you come forwards to wipe out one unit. You are outnumbered 10-6 to as the axis, so leaving cover is really not going to play to your strength. Each of your units has an extra figure over that of your enemy, so combine that with the defensive terrain bonus, and then that way you'll get your win. For the allied player, things are basically the opposite. Your big advantage is numbers, 10 to 6 as I mentioned earlier, and your ability to move into the woods and still attack. On the left, try and get your units into the trees while attacking in the same turn. The most northwesterly trees give you an excellent flanking position. The two exposed units on the airfield should be pulled back as soon as possible, get them into cover. And all the central units should be moved into cover of the hill line. On the right hand side, again try to occupy the woods while attacking. Advance to a hill or woods and attack in that same turn whenever you can. That will mean you'll be starting at way out of range, move up closer and still be in cover. As an overall strategy, you want to split your forces into two, one on each flank. Concentrate on attacking the Axis wings. Concentrate your forces on the Axis troops that are the most isolated to maximise your chance of getting a kill. You don't want to lose any units yourself. As I've mentioned, it is only a four medal battle, so you need to make every hit count and you don't want to leave any of your troops exposed where a counterattack's going to wipe them out because any one unit gone is a quarter of the win. Okay. Let's look at the big book of wartime events for on and around the 31st of August, which is today's recording date. So, on August 30th, on the Russian front, the Russians manage to occupy Polesti. On the Western front, the Canadians take Rouen, the British take Beauvais, which is north of Paris, and the Americans at Reims and Chalons-sur-Marne. Moving on to August the 31st, today's date of recording. On the Russian front, The Russians occupy Bucharest after advancing 56 kilometres in a day. On the Western Front, the British cross the Somme and capture Armines. The Americans cross the Meuse near Sedan. Out in the Pacific, 15 carriers of Task Force 38 carve a swathe of destruction across a Japanese-held island north of New Guinea. On to September 1st. On the Western Front, the Canadians occupy Dieppe, which has been abandoned by the Germans. The British reach Arras, and the Americas capture Verdun, and Montgomery gets himself promoted to field marshal. There you go. That'll do for the big book. Well, that's it for today's show. The next show will be based on the eighth scenario, Operation Cobra. Gentlemen, I pray you be quiet for the Prime Minister. FNH signing off.
3: London is so and so strong that she is like a prehistoric monster into whose armoured hide showers of arrows can be shot in vain. (laughs) But a frightful measure of cruelty has been inflicted upon the great cities and seaports of the country. And I say here, when we are entitled to speak of London affair, particularly, I say here, that we honour them for their constancy in a comradeship of suffering, of endurance, and of triumph. That comradeship under this unprecedented novel pressure, hideous pressure, applied to modern communities, has united us all. And it has proved to the world the quality of our island life. Uh, I have no doubt whatever as I said to the uh, forces, the Civil Defense Forces in Hyde Park this morning, that the behavior of the British people under this trial gained them conquests in the mind, spirit, sympathy of the United States of America, which swept into an ignominious corner, all the finest tropes of Goebbels' propaganda. We have to ask ourselves this question. Will the bombing attacks of last autumn and winter come back again? Mr. Chairman, we are proceeding on the assumption that they will. Some months ago I requested my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary and Minister of Home Security and uh, his principal colleagues, the Minister of Health and others, to make every preparation for the autumn and winter war as if we should have to go through the same ordeal as last year, only rather worse. I am assured that everything is being done in accordance with those directions. The shelters are being strengthened, improved, lighted, and warmed. All arrangements for fire control and fire watching are being improved, perpetually. Many new arrangements are being contrived as a result of the hard experience through which we have passed. And the many mistakes, no doubt, we have made, for uh, success is the result of making many mistakes and learning and learning from experience. Mm. Uh, If the lull, many new arrangements have been made, and if the lull is to end, if the storm is to renew itself, London will be ready. London will not flinch. London can take it again. We ask no favors of the enemy. We seek from them no compunction. On the contrary, if tonight the people of London were asked to cast their votes as to whether a convention should be entered into to stop the bombing of all cities, an overwhelming majority would cry, no, we will meet out to the Germans the measure, and more than the measure, yeah. they have meted out to us. <laughs> the people of London, with one voice, would say to Hitler, You have committed every crime under the sun. Where you have been the least resisted, there you have been the most brutal. It was you who began the indiscriminate bombing. We remember Warsaw. In the very few days, first few days of the war, we remember Rotterdam. We have been newly reminded of your habits by the hideous massacre in Belgrade. We know too well the bestial assault you are making upon the Russian people to whom our hearts go out in their valiant struggle. We will have no truce or parley with you or the grizzly gang who work your wicked will. <laughs> you do your worst, and we will do our best. <laughs> Perhaps it may be our turn soon. Perhaps it may be our turn now. All engaged in our civil defense forces, whether in London or throughout the country, must uh, prepare themselves, ladies and gentlemen, for further heavy assaults. Your organization, your vigilance, your devotion to duty, your zeal for the cause, must be raised (coughs) to the highest intensity. We do not expect a hit without being hit back. And we intend with every week that passes to hit harder. Prepare yourselves then. Prepare yourselves, my friends and comrades, in the Battle of London for the renewal of your exertions. <laughs> we shall not turn from our purpose, however somber the road, however grievous the cost, because we know that out of this time of trial and tribulation, will be born a new freedom and glory for all mankind.